Welcome to the Den of Dissidents. This is a show where we challenge the current culture and mainstream talking points of the day. What is the news telling us? What is the culture telling us? Where is our civilization headed? And by what standard do we judge these issues? Are you a dissident? Let's find out. All right, so that was my interview with Derek Gibson. And... um, I just want to play a clip of a documentary that Derek was in. It's called Systematic Deception. And this is a documentary that sets out to refute the main talking points from the Democratic Party about race and about white supremacy and also about um, refutes the uh, talking points from mainstream media, the liberal media, and how they talk about racial issues and white supremacy and stirring up racial tension always pointing the finger at, you know, um, white people. So this, this documentary um, talks about those issues. So I'll play a quick clip of that and then give some commentary. <laughs> it's a big discrimination against black within the black race itself. Hey, nobody wants to talk about that. I'm so sorry that there's a narrative out there that people feel like only white people can be racist. There's people I've heard in, in the black community have said some of the most racist, vile things that if a white person did that to them, they will be up in arms and they will be everywhere about it. If we're telling black, if we're telling white people they don't belong in this area or they don't understand us because this is a black thing or this and that. What if a white person says to a black person, you wouldn't get this. This is a white thing. <laughs> imagine, imagine the uproar in the black community. Imagine how upset, you know, we're walking around black power. Okay. Well, a white person comes over and says white power. Imagine the uproar. Terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat to the homeland. <laughs> I walk outside every day in fear of white supremacy right here in the middle of the hood. Okay, yeah, right. I never seen a white supremacist in my life. Never. And they can't point to one. Where the hell are they? I wish somebody would introduce me to a white supremacist. I would like to talk to them and take pictures with them because I never seen one in my life. It never ceases to amaze me how expert the Democrat community is at race baiting by throwing out inflammatory terms such as white supremacy. And that is our greatest problem. Without really planning to have a genuine solution, we get the emotions of the people stirred up, but we do not allow for solutions to the problem. I don't think that it's true that white supremacy is our greatest problem in the US. Uh, One, because of, uh, take it myself, I've been able to achieve so much in this country, me and my family. Uh, as well as that, um, America is compared to when my the country my parents left. America is the one with the most opportunity. And if Joe Biden, you know, wants to go with that narrative, well, look at him. He is a white man <laughs> in America, a straight, straight white male, and he's running the nation where white supremacy is, according to him, rampant. So, what does that say about him? All right. So that was that. So I wanted, you know, I saw this clip of Derek wearing this shirt on um, D.L. Hughley's uh, Instagram. And I I looked at the comments. I wanted to look at the comments. And, you know, I figured that the comments would say exactly what I thought, which was, you know, you had a lot lot of people in the comments saying that, implying Derek is a coon, Uncle Tom, Sambo, uh, traitor to his race, all this stuff. And and so I started to think to myself, you know, I mean, that was expected because you hear this all the, all the time, but 
I just always wonder why, you know, as a black conservative or if you're black, why is it that you have to be put in a box or think a certain way based on your color? This has been going on for years. So if you're a black conservative, you you get called the coon and this, uh, you know, Uncle Ruckus and all these names. And even if you if you conduct yourself a certain way, you get called the Oreo or if you talk a certain way. You know, sometimes, you know, when I was younger, you'd hear you would hear people getting accused of being white or talking white, whatever that means. So you would hear this throughout the years. Right. And then um, even with Christianity, if you're a Christian, sometimes you'd be accused of of following the white man's religion. If you're a Christian or, or following the religion of your oppressor. Right. So. It seems sometimes if you're black, you just you you have to be put in this box. You cannot step outside this box without being called these names. And especially, you know, if you're a black conservative. Now, I would say some I would say there's becoming an independent voice is starting to become a little bit more popular. You do have more independent voices coming on the scene. Um, but this has been a, a common thing. So, you know, I, I think about Martin Luther King when he said, um, judge a man by the content of his character and not by his, uh, his color. So, you know, we're acting against that principle when we put each other in these boxes and, and we insult each other with these names. And so some of the people that call black conservatives coons and uncle toms you know are some of the the same people that are voting for certain parties like the democratic party and not necessarily reflecting on the positions of the democratic party so they're pointing a finger at the black conservative because they think that the black conservative is immoral because this is all this is all a moral issue these issues all based on our differences of uh, values, right? So they're they're pointing at the black conservative, and they're outraged and saying, "How dare you? You're a traitor! I can't believe that you know you're doing this. You're supporting this, right?" But yet they don't necessarily take a look at their party and the wrongs within their party. Or willing to give an examination on the things that the causes that they support, but instead point the finger at the black conservative. I'm I'm, I'm talking about some blacks, right? So I wanted to go back and dig into a little bit of history about the Democratic Party because you don't really hear this too often, and. Um, reason I'm bringing this up is because some of us, we like to talk about history. We like to talk about slavery. We don't forget certain things. We don't let certain things go away. We love talking about history, especially in the media. Um, and especially when it comes to white supremacy, we, we, they never forget that, right? They, they love talking about that. So I was digging up some history and um I found a few articles. So this is um this is an article based on it's from PBS and they did a series on the presidents and documented some history about the presidents and they go through uh several presidents. So this this is from a collection. 
of um, series that they did. So this one, this article um, is called Grant Reconstruction and the KKK. So Reconstruction, you know, during that time, um, there was there was Reconstruction programs to try to give blacks give blacks their freedom and equality and make them incorporate them into incorporate blacks into the American system, right? So it says at the time of Ulysses S. Grant, uh, Ulysses S. Grant's election to the presidency, white supremacists were conducting a reign of terror throughout the South in outright defiance of the Republican-led government. Southern Democrats formed organizations that would violently, that violently intimidated blacks and Republicans who tried to win political power. So I'll just stop right there. So it says an outright defiance of the Republican led government. Southern who hold on who who did this in defiance of the Republicans? The Southern Democrats. They defied the Republican led government and conducted well the white supremacists conducted a reign of terror and the Democrats formed organizations that violently intimidated blacks and Republicans who tried to win political power. Why did they do that? They did that because Republican Republicans and blacks were allies at the time because of Reconstruction. Republicans were supporting Reconstruction to give blacks equality and freedom. Let's go on. The most prominent of these, the Ku Klux Klan, was formed in Pulaski, Tennessee in 1865. Um Originally founded as a social club for former Confederate soldiers, the Klan evolved into a terrorist organization. It would be responsible for thousands of deaths and would help to weaken the political power of Southern blacks and Republicans. So here we go. The Klan became a terrorist organization and wanted to weaken Southern blacks and Republicans. Why? Because the Republicans and the blacks, they were allies. Racist activity in the South took the form of riots that targeted blacks and Republicans. In 1866, a quarrel between whites and black ex-soldiers erupted into a full-fledged riot in Memphis, Tennessee. So this is giving you an example of some of the violence that was breaking out. I'm going to go down a little bit. So in this violent atmosphere, the Ku Klux Klan grew in size and strength. By 1868, the Klan had evolved into a hooded terrorist organization that its members call the Invisible Empire of the South. The reorganized Klan's leader or Grand Wizard was Nathan Bedford Forrest. Okay, let's go down a little bit more. Um, let me see. We get down to... I'm just explaining the terrorism that was going on from the KKK and the white supremacist organizations. So it says in the time leading up to the 1868 presidential election, the Klan's activities picked up in speed and brutality. The election which pitted Republican Ulysses S. Grant against Democrat Horatio Seymour was crucial. The Republicans would continue programs that prevented Southern whites from gaining political control in their states. Klan members knew that given the chance, the blacks in their communities would vote Republican. Let me read that again. Republicans would continue programs that prevented Southern whites from gaining political control in their states. Okay, because 
they knew that the southern some of the southern whites were involved with the terrorism that was going on with the KKK and some of these organizations. The Klan, the Klan members knew that given the chance, the blacks in their communities would vote Republican. So again, blacks and Republicans, they were friends. Republicans were trying to help blacks. The white supremacist organizations like the uh, the KKK, they were coming together with the Democrats. The Democrats and the KKK were allies at that time. Blacks and Republicans were allies at that time as well. Now, goes down, I'm, I'm going down a little bit. It says, um, across the South, the Klan and other terrorist organizations used brutal violence to intimidate Republican voters. In Arkansas, over 2,000 murders were committed in connection with the election. In Georgia, the number of threats and beatings was even higher. In Louisiana, a thousand blacks were killed as the election neared. In those three states, Democrats won decisive victories at the polls. So here in Georgia, you got beatings and threats. Blacks being killed as the election neared. Once all that violence took place, all those, all those, all those excuse me, all those threats taking place, Democrats won decisive victories at the polls. So maybe people were scared of, of voting Republican, but this is what was going on at the time. Nevertheless, the Klan's violent actions proved to many Northerners that the South had not learned its lesson in the recent war. In this way, the Klan's activities actually backfired. People realized that harsher laws would have to be passed in order to stop the violence and protect Southern Blacks, and those laws were soon coming. So in 1868, Republican, in the 1868 election, Republican Ulysses S. Grant won the office and with the slogan, let us have peace. Republicans also won a majority in Congress. Many Northerners disgusted by Klan violence lent their support to the 15th Amendment, which gave the vote to black men in every state. Um, also, there was legislation um, that attacked the Klan more directly, it says. Between 1870 and 1871, Congress passed the Enforcements Act, which made it a crime to interfere with registration, voting, office holding, or jury service of blacks. So here you have legislation that's trying to protect blacks at the time. More than 5,000 people were indicted under these laws. And this was during... um. Ulysses, when Ulysses S. Grant was president, who was a white man, I'll, I'll just add. Um, in 1871, Congress passed the Ku Klux Klan Act, which allowed the government to act against terrorist organizations. Uh, Grant did not rigorous, rigorously enforce these laws, although he did arrest hundreds of Klan members. Um, but with the overwhelming support of the Klan in the South, convictions proved difficult to obtain. So that just gives you a little bit of history about what was going on back then with the KKK and the Democrats at the time. Now let's go to the History Channel. So History Channel has a website and they also did some, um, I think they did a, a special on this too, but they talk about this on their website. So, and, and they go into some of the history of the KKK. So 
It says here, founded in 1865, the Ku Klux Klan extended into almost every Southern state by 1870 and became a vehicle for white Southern resistance to the Republican Party's Reconstruction Era policies aimed at establishing political and economic equality for blacks. So here we go. The KKK, which was in the South, became a vehicle for white Southern resistance to who? To the Republican Party. What was the Republican Party doing at the time? The Republican Party was supporting Reconstruction Era policies. What was Reconstruction about? It was about establishing political and economic equality for blacks. The KKK and the white supremacist organizations were against this. So who did they team up with? They teamed up with Democrats. Now, it says its members waged an underground campaign of intimidation and violence directed at white and black Republican leaders, black Republican leaders. Also, it says, though Congress passed legislation designed to curb Klan terrorism, the organization saw its primary goal, the reestablishment of white supremacy fulfilled through who? Democratic victories in state legislatures across the South in the 1870s. So again, the Klan wanted to reestablish white supremacy and they wanted to establish that through Democratic victories in state legislatures. They wanted the Democrats to win, to resurrect this white supremacy, to reestablish white supremacy. Okay, now it says, um, let me see, I'll scroll down a little bit more. This, this talks a lot about some of the violence that was going on against blacks during that time. But um, let's see what we have. Um, it says the organization of the Ku Klux Klan coincided with the beginning of the second phase of post-Civil War Reconstruction. Um, which was put into place by the more radical members of the Republican Party in Congress. So again, the Republican Party was promoting a reconstruction that was um, geared towards giving blacks equality. Now, uh, what else do we have? The Ku Klux Klan violence in the South. It says from 1867 onward, black participation in public life in the South became one of the most radical aspects of Reconstruction as black people won election to Southern state governments and even to the U.S. Congress. For its part, the Ku Klux Klan dedicated itself to an underground campaign of violence against Republican leaders and voters, both black and white, in an effort to reverse the policies of radical Reconstruction and restore white supremacy in the South. They were joined in this struggle by similar organizations. So here we have it again. And I want to point this out. Black people were winning elections to Southern state governments and even to the U.S. Congress. And the Klan didn't like that. So they dedicated themselves to a campaign of violence against who? Against the Republicans and the voters, black and white. So black people and white people were voting the same way. Because there was whites that wanted to see equality for blacks during that time as well. You had white Republicans. 
and the Republicans were potent, were promoting reconstruction to give blacks equality. KKK and the Democrats fighting against that. I'm going to keep stressing that. <laughs> so let's see. It says at least 10% of the black legislators elected during the 1867-1868 constitutional conventions became victims of violence during Reconstruction, including seven who were killed. White Republicans derided as carpetbaggers and scalawags and black institutions such as schools and churches, symbols of black autonomy, were also targets for Klan attacks. So here, more, more violence towards blacks and Republicans. And they were calling white Republicans names, carpetbaggers and, and things like this. And they were attacking... Um, there was violence being committed against black institutions. So you had black schools back then. You had black churches. They say symbols of black autonomy. So even back then, you know, black people were forming organizations and being self-sufficient. And I, I, I want to point that out, too, because sometimes, you know, when you listen to the news and you, you listen to the media and sometimes the DNC, you know, they make it seem as if black people just have been going throughout life with absolutely nothing, no type of ownership of anything. <clears throat> what else? It says, um, by 1870, the Ku Klux Klan had branches in nearly every Southern state. Um, what else? Talks about, talks about reconstruction again. It says local Klan mem members often wearing masks and dressed in organization signature long white robes carried out their attacks at night, um, acting on their own, but in support of the common goals of defeating radical reconstruction and restoring white supremacy in the South. Klan activity flourished, particularly in regions of the South where black people were a minority or a small majority of the population. And I'm going to go down here, try to wrap this article up. I got one more article I'm going to touch on. Um, the Ku Klux Klan and the end of Reconstruction. So it says, during um, though Democratic leaders would later attribute Ku Klux Klan violence to poorer Southern white people, the organization organization's members cross class lines. Um, so they had farmers, lawyers, people from a lot of different areas. Now it says... Um, other leading white citizens in the South declined to speak out against the group's actions, giving them tacit approval. After 1870, Republican state governments in the South turned to Congress for help, resulting in the passage of three enforcement acts, the strongest of which was the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871. So again, the Republicans didn't like the terrorism that was being committed against black people, and so they the Republican state governments in the South turned to Congress for help. That sounds much different than what we hear in the media about Republicans being racist. We've been hearing this for years. Oh, Republicans are racist. You hear this from, from the Democratic Party as well. Republicans are racist. They don't really talk too much about this history, how Republicans were promoting reconstructions, reconstruction, and they were trying to prevent terrorism from the KKK. You don't hear about this too much. That's why some of this like kind of surprises me when I read about it. Um, now, it also says for the first time. Hold on. Let me see. 
Okay. So it, it says here, for the first time, the Ku Klux Klan Act designated certain crimes committed by individuals as federal offenses, including conspiracies to deprive citizens of the right to hold office, serve on juries, and enjoy the equal protection of the law. The act authorized the president to suspend the writ of habeas corpus. Um, Ulysses S. Grant used the 1871 um, use this, uh, use federal expansion. I'm sorry, expansion, expansion of federal authority in 1871 to crush Klan activity. Now, Ulysses says Grant was a Republican president, as I read before. Um, <clears throat> now it says from early 1870s onward, white supremacy gradually reasserted its hold on the South as, as support for reconstruction waned. By the end of 1876, the entire South was under Democratic control once again. So here, Reconstruction was waning. What was Reconstruction about? It was about Blacks being able to get equality, being able to participate in the system and get their constitutional rights. Once Reconstruction waned, who got power again? The Democrats. So the Democrats were in power while Reconstruction waned. It went away. It was going away. And blacks were losing their equality and freedom when the Democrats were in power, in control, once again, as it says. When the Democrats got back in power, here you have the revival of the Ku Klux Klan. It says... This second generation of Klan was not only anti-black, but also took a stance against Roman Catholic Jews. This is something else. So um, let's see what else we got. It talks about um, President Lyndon Johnson. And I thought there was something else that I wanted to read. But yeah, so again, so you, you have two parties, you know, battling it out pretty much. And you have the Klan that's siding with the Democrats at the time. And they were trying to stop Reconstruction. And they were trying to um, basically terrorize blacks and Republicans. Let me read um, one, two more things. And then uh, we'll uh, get out of here. So this was from um, Encyclopedia Britannica. And this talks about the uh, Wilmington coup and massacre. So it says here, the Wilmington coup and massacre was a political coup and massacre in which the multiracial fusionist Republican and populist city government of Wilmington, North Carolina, was violently overthrown on November 10th, 1898. And as many as 60 black Americans were killed in a premeditated murder spree that was the culmination of an organized months-long statewide campaign by white supremacists to do what? To eliminate African-American participation in government and permanently disenfranchise black citizens of North Carolina. When did the coup happen? It says the coup followed on the heels of an election for the county, state, and federal governments that restored a democratic majority in the state legislature. So again, this was a coup, this was a coup and a massacre that took place on the heels of an election. 
once that coup and massacre, while that coup and massacre was taking place, it then restored a democratic majority in the state legislature. That was the goal, to restore the Democrats, because the Republicans did what? They were supporting blacks. They wanted to restore the Democrats, the white supremacist organizations. They wanted the Democrats to be in power so that they can reestablish the white supremacy. Once the Democratic majority in the state legislature got back into power, what'd they do? They set about, says which set about enacting Jim Crow legislation that disenfranchised black people in North Carolina for many decades to come. So the Democrats got in power, they enacted Jim Crow legislation. What did Jim Crow legislation do? It disenfranchised black people. Um, what else does it say? It says federal reconstruction legislation and enforcement brought the right to vote to black Americans in North Carolina. This is what reconstruction was doing, giving blacks the right to vote. And throughout the South, leading to the participation of black office holders in the Republican state governments that dominated the period. But the end of reconstruction resulted in the return of white democratic ruled redeemer governments that quickly rolled back civil rights for blacks. Again, Republicans promote, promoting reconstruction. Once the white supremacists got back in power or terrorized and got the Republicans out, they quickly rolled back civil rights for blacks once the democratic ruled governments got back into power. Let me go down. So in 1890s, Wilmington was North Carolina's most populous city. It was a busy commercial port with a strong economy. It was an anomaly because a majority, 56% of its citizens were black. By comparison, the black populations of New Orleans and Louisville, Kentucky, two other cities with large non-white cohorts, were only 27% and 17% respectively. Moreover, Wilmington had a thriving black middle class made up of both professionals and entrepreneurs, and black Wilmingtonians were employed as artisans, industrial workers, laborers, members of maritime crews, and domestic workers. Building on a strong foundation of black schools, inherited status, and wealth, the black community in Wilmington had created a cohesive social and cultural environment. The city also boasted a rarity for the 19th for 19th century America, a black owned daily newspaper, the Daily Record, operated by Alexander Manley. Perhaps most significantly, blacks constituted an, a notable presence in local government. Three of the city's 10 aldermen and 10 of the city's 26 policemen were black, and there were also black magistrates. Let me touch on that a little bit. When you read about this, you see some of the, the progress that black people were making at that time. You see that black people were thriving. As it says here, they had a cohe black people had a cohesive social and cultural environment during that time, even during a time when racism was probably more prevalent, was more prevalent as compared to now. Even during that time, blacks were thriving and they had black schools. They had 
black communities. There was um, black artisans, industrial workers, laborers, members of maritime crews, domestic workers, right? So you, so black people are, sounds like very progressive in terms of um, developing their communities, having careers, having trades, newspapers, black owned, black owned newspaper. Sometimes I got to go back into history to read about this. And again, and I think this is, this is good because like I said, when you, when you watch the news and you hear people talk about black people or black history, it, it seems as if black people have just always been destitute from the beginning of time and had not a crumb, not, not one cent, or there was just, you know, nothing successful that happened in the black community or nothing progressive. And it also shows that there was independence in the black community. Black, the black community was, was building itself. And so that should inspire people because you, you can build yourself now. I mean, there was black newspapers back then. Today, you know, we don't hear, we don't necessarily hear a message of being autonomous, autonomous, meaning independent, self-sufficient, um, building yourselves, you know, um, starting from the ground up. We don't necessarily hear that message anymore. Let me go down a little bit more. It says black participation and prominence in North Carolina's politics and government humiliated and enraged many whites. Two men. Now check this out. It says two men who had powerful roles in the state's political life. Josephus Daniels, publisher of the Rally News and Observer. North Carolina's most influential paper and Fernifold Simmons who was the chairman of the state's Democratic Party, met and they decided to do something about the political situation. What was the political situation? The situation was that there was black participation and black prominence in North Carolina's politics. And it humiliated and enraged some whites. So what did these two men do? Josephus, and Fernifold Simmons, who was the chairman of the state's Democratic Party, they came together, namely to eliminate forever by ballot or bullet voting and office holding by blacks. They didn't like to see success in the black community. Theirs was not a covert operation. They openly professed their intentions, boldfacedly labeling the project project the white supremacy campaign. The plan called for stealing the upcoming 1898 federal and state election by exploiting the inherent racism of white popular supporters and political differences between them and black and white Republicans, as well as by employing terrorist intimidation and violence. Kind of sounds like today a little bit, right? So anyway, I'm not going to go into the election, but so here we had the chairman of the state's Democratic Party collaborating with the publisher of a newspaper coming up with a plan called the white supremacy campaign. And it, it called for stealing an election. 
and causing division, exploiting inherent racism of white populist supporters and political differences between them and black and white Republicans. So they wanted to cause division, stir up tension within the races and steal an election. And why were they doing that? Because they didn't like to see black prominence. They didn't like black participation. Again, the, the, the owner or the publisher of this newspaper did not get together with a Republican. He got together with a Democrat for obvious reasons. Um, what else we got here? So here in the, in the, in his paper, it says Daniel used his influential paper to conduct a campaign of virulent racist propaganda, propaganda, lies, uh, because some of 20% of white North Carolinians were illiterate, much of the white supremacist message was conveyed through heavy-handed, outrageously offensive political cartoons. Republican government was depicted as wildly corrupt, grossly incompetent, and controlled by grotesque, dim-witted black people. So this was the propaganda that they were coming up with towards the Republican Party. And that goes on today. There's a lot of propaganda um, <clears throat> that is promoted against the Republican Party today as well. Um, a lot of times we like to remember, we like to remember history. We like to talk about slavery. The media likes to talk about white supremacy, right? And, and all of the, the ugly parts of history in America. But what they don't talk about I mean, since we want to talk about history, since we want to remember things, why why is it that this part of history, especially political history, is left out? Why, why is it that you're not going to hear some of the ugliness of the Democratic Party and and how the KKK was allied with the Democratic Party at the time and how the Republicans were actually fighting for blacks. You don't hear, you're not going to hear this on CNN. You don't hear this on MSNBC. You don't hear it on ABC, um, NBC, right? You may hear a little bit of it on Fox News. I don't know. But so that's my reason of pointing this out. And there was also one other thing that um, I wanted to touch on too. And this was by... Um, I'm sorry, this was a book actually that was written. Okay, so his name, he wrote a book called Reconstruction, The Great Experiment. Um, and he was he was a professor and a historian. His name is Alan Trelease. And he wrote this book, Reconstruction, The Great Experiment. And here's a quote from his book. He says, the power to terrify Negroes was immediately put to use in the interest of white supremacy. Whites used the Klan to frighten blacks into good behavior and submissiveness and to control their voting at elections. It was no coincidence that the Klan became more than a social club and spread from Pulaski in 1867 when Governor Brownlow's Republican regime gained a new lease on life by adopting Negro suffrage. Klansmen in disguise rode through Negro neighborhoods at night, warning the Negroes either to cast Democratic ballots or stay away from the polls. The Klan also sent notices to Republican office holders, warning them 
on pain of death, either to resign or leave the vicinity. So that's that's pretty much as plain as day right there. Um, so again, you know, this was during a time when the white supremacists were anti-Republican because the Republicans were promoting black equality, and they were team, and the white supremacists were teaming up with the Democrats, and they wanted them to vote Democrat. And they were threatening them. Now, the reason I had to point that out is because that's, you know, all we hear in the media sometimes and sometimes, you know, not only in the media, but from people um, and from the Democratic Party is that the Republicans are a bunch of racists and this, this and that. And so I go back to the people that are calling Derek Gibson a coon and an Uncle Tom. Right. I, I asked them, have you examined the history of your party? So you're calling this man an Uncle Tom and a coon and a traitor to his race because you think that he is siding with a party that is trying to, that has racism or that's racist or trying to hold black people down. But I, I just question, have you examine your own party's history. So the same way that you call him and Uncle Tom, I would question, I mean, are you willing to label yourself that name, that same name? Are you willing to call yourself Uncle Tom based on your party's history and based on the immorality in your party as well? And so even now, the president of the United States. I mean, let's let's just talk about this. The president of the United States, um, he's promoting some crazy things, right? So he he did an interview with Dylan Mulvaney, which I, I played. I put in a, a previous video of mine where he he's talking to Dylan Mulvaney, who's a man, a young man, and he's applauding him for transitioning into being a woman. So he's applauding the idea of men wanting to be women. And even getting surgery on themselves to change to attempt to change themselves into women. So the president of the United States, who's a Democrat, is promoting this. The DNC promotes this behavior. Not only that, the president of the United States also has people in his administration and his health department that are promoting um, transgender or puberty blockers for children to prevent them from um, under or going through puberty so that they can attempt to change their gender. So the president in one of his talks, I think, it was, I don't know if it was with Dylan Mulvaney or another gentleman, which you can see in one of my previous videos, where he's saying, hey, you know, kids, I mean, parents, if your children want to change their genders, you know, this is flesh of your flesh and a bone of your bone. He says something like that. And so he's promoting this idea that, hey, if children want to change their gender, go ahead, you know, as a parent, be a loving parent and allow them to do that. So this is what he's promoting. These are his, this is his philosophy. Um, and so, I, you know, if that doesn't sound crazy to you, I don't know what does because I want to go back to this whole finger pointing again. So some of the same people that are calling 
Derek Gibson a coon and an Uncle Tom and all that. Have you seen your current president's policies? Have you seen the type of philosophy that he is promoting as, as far as even something as simple as gender? So how can you call one man a coon and an Uncle Tom and a Sambo and all of this, but go along and support something as crazy as this? Sometimes I got to I got to um, censor myself because of certain platforms. But how can you go along and finger point at one person because of what you deem to be immoral, them supporting something that is immoral, but then turn around and support something just as or something immoral as well? Something else that was crazy that I thought was the whole I don't know if you guys remember the whole crack pipe situation. In, in the during the Biden administration. <clears throat> so here, here I'm going to just talk about it a little bit. So here it talks about um, the Biden administration includes crack meth pipes in tax funded safe smoking kits. Let's go down a little bit. It says contrary to the Biden administration's repeated denials, it appears that it is actually financing safe pipes for drug addicts, safe crack pipes. According to an investigative report, Posted last week by the, the uh, Washington Beacon, the findings are the result of the Washington Free Beacon visits to five, five harm reduction organizations and calls to over two dozen more. In fact, every organization we visited facil facilities in Boston, New York City, Washington, D.C., Baltimore and Richmond, VA included crack pipes in the kits. The outlet posted a picture of the contents of the safe smoking kits that are available thanks to the, the Department of Health and Human Services grant program, which be, began in May. <clears throat> the kits became the subject of national attention in a wake of a free beacon report in, in February, in indicating that a $30 million million harm reduction program was set to fund the distribution of free crack pipes in safe smoking kits. As reported by the New American, the grant includes awards of $400,000 for 25 municipal applicants tasked with providing residents with harm reduction supplies related to drug use and will run for three years. The funding is provided through the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021. So let me just stop there. So I'm, I'm bringing up this article because I'm trying to point out the absurdity and the foolishness that's, that's going on. So we, we went from, we're going from the racist history in the Democratic Party, and now we're talking about crack pipes. And the reason why I'm talking about this is because I'm going back to the criticism and the outrage that people have towards blacks and towards people that support Trump based on morals and values, but those same people will turn around and support an administration that is promoting something as crazy as transgenderism or the idea that a man can be a woman in this thing. And not only that, they're supporting an administration that was funding crack pipes. Okay, we're talking about, and, and the reason in 
behind this is because they want to reduce they they want if you they want to they're saying if you're doing drugs we want you to do drugs safely so if you're going to if you're going to smoke crack we want you to smoke that crack safely we want to we want there to be harm, harm reduction we want to reduce harm in your crack smoking so we so we're going to fund and give a grant that's going to supply you with your crack pipes because we don't want you maybe going in the streets and and getting some bad crack pipes or or doing it in a bad area or you know buying from a bad supplier if you're going to do it do it our way so we're going to give you some nice clean safe pipes so again this is this is the absurdity and that's why I'm I'm pointing this article out let me go on a little bit um it says the goal of the program is to advance racial equity and provide support for undeserved communities by reducing the rate of drug overdoses and related health issues such as STDs and other infectious diseases. Safe smoking kits were also in the list of the HHS program. An unnamed HHS representative told the Free Beacon that those would include pipes that could be used to smoke crack, cocaine, crystal, methamphetamine, and any illicit substance. Does that not sound crazy to you? So I, this is the reason why I got to go back and why I wanted to do the little comment, do this commentary on the the attacks and the outrage towards blacks and black Republicans or just Republicans in general or, or people that support Trump. What I see is hypocrisy. You can't tell me that you can't call this man a coon and an Uncle Tom and at the same time be supporting a, uh, an administration that thinks you know, it's okay for little boys to be little girls and promote this idea and give them and say it's okay for them to take substances like puberty blockers to change their gender and stop their puberty and promote programs that um, fund crack pipes so people can do their crack safely. You, you can't expect me to take you serious and not come off as a hypocrite when you support things like this. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I hope you do. So I just had to point that out. And um, yeah, that's that's all I got to say for today. It's really a matter of morals and values. Let's let's just stick to principle. Um, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party have different platforms. So if you read the platforms, you know, some of the, the platforms, there's some things in the platforms that sound nice and fluffy. Like if you read the Democratic Party platform, it talks about, um, you know, like healthcare for all, it might say something like that, or end poverty, um, <clears throat> building a strong economy. I think that the Republican Party platform says the same thing, building a strong economy. These things sound very nice and, and kind. Now, the Democratic Party says some nice things. Hey, health care for all, I would love that. Ending poverty, I would love that. But how are you going to do that? By what means are you going to do that? So to the people that criticize the Republicans and the black Republicans and call them the Uncle Toms and Coons, I would challenge you. Have you read the Republican Party platform? Maybe there's a reason why this man is a Republican. Have you ever considered that? Instead of calling him a coon. 
the Republican Party promotes um, like some pro-life principles, constitutional government, low taxation, right? The Democratic Party is promoting, uh, like I said, they want to build a strong economy. I would say the Democratic Party promotes a lot of government intervention, you know, growth in government. Um, they do promote L the LG, B, G, D, Y, Z alphabet philosophy. They do promote that stuff. They promote abortion, um, what they call reproductive health care, okay, which is abortion, which is terminating a child's life, okay. Um, so can you see why uh, maybe a Christian conservative or a person that is Christian, a black person that is Christian might say, hey, you know what, I'm not down with that, so I'm going to go on this side. Because I actually want babies to live. I think it's wrong. I think abortion is wrong, right? Um, I think a man is a man. I think a woman is a woman. Maybe that's why this black man is saying no to the Democratic Party. And he's saying, yeah, I'm going to go join these people over here. I'm just saying. We got to get to a point where we stop putting people in a box and calling them sellouts and traitors and, and, and coons and all of this stuff. And try to understand where they're coming from. And, you know, you, you may examine the positions and say, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this person is right, actually. Maybe I'm supporting some foolishness. Maybe what he is supporting actually is, is, is a principal position and actually he's correct. Have you ever thought about that? I would say examine your positions. If you're a Christian, you already know what the Bible says. I don't know. Maybe you don't. Maybe you examine scripture, line, look at your political party, look at the things that you support, match them up with scripture and see, just see how they match up and ask yourself, okay, does this line up with my values? Does this line up with scripture? And that, and that should tell you all you need to know. You should also read the Constitution. Say, is my party following the Constitution? That should tell you all you need to know. Now, before I go, I just want to make a few more points um, and wrap it up. So I'm not saying that a, a party is your savior. I'm not saying that at all. Um, I mean, God is your savior in the end. A political party can't save you, whether it be the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. Okay? Your ultimate savior is God, the God of the Bible. Okay? Christ. Right? So some people hearing this might say, well, oh, so you're trying to tell me to vote Republican. And I'm not necessarily telling you to vote Republican. I'm just telling you to look at principles and, and look at your values and ask yourself if the things that you support match up with your values. Do they match up with the correct values? Do you have the correct values? Maybe it's time to rethink your positions on a, on a few different issues and ask, ask yourself, what do you really believe in? Where, where do you get your standard of morality from? Because this is this is what it really boils down to, regardless of what party that you're in. 
it all boils down to morals. The reason why you're a Democrat is because you're taking a moral position. It's because you have a standard of morality and you're saying, well, I think Republicans are evil or I think Republicans are racist because you think that obviously racism is wrong. You think that there's corruption with the Republican Party and and so forth. And so that's a moral position. Same thing, you know, if you're a Republican. But it really goes back to where do you get your morals from? Where do you get your moral standards from? So that's why, you know, I, I, I like to bring it back to God and his standard. Because that's the only solution to all of this, to all of the madness in the world, pretty much. So, again, I'm not telling you to, you know, go vote a certain way. And I'm not saying that's the ultimate solution. It's not in a party. Um, lastly, I want to play this clip, which I, I saw this week, and, I, and it really um, it hit me because I, I remember seeing this movie. This was Malcolm X. I don't know if some of you, a lot of you, have you of you have probably seen this movie by uh, Spike Lee back in the nineties. So there was a clip of Malcolm um, talking about staying on the plantation and like the slave masters being on the plantation. I'm sorry, the, the slaves being on the plantation. So let me play that clip real quick. You have to understand this type of thinking. And under, to understand this type of man, you must understand that historically, there were two types of slaves, the house Negro and the field Negro. Now the house Negro, he lived in the house next to his master in the big house, either in the basement or up in the attic. He dressed pretty good. He ate pretty good. What the master left him. He loved his master. I say he loved his master better than the master loved himself. If the master said, we got a nice house here, you say, yeah, boss, we got a nice house here. Master's house caught on fire, the house Negro would be the one who'd run to put the blaze out. If the master got sick, he said, what's the matter, boss? We sick? We sick. You see, this is the thinking of the house Negro. Now, if another slave came up to him and said, let's run away, let's separate, let's get away from this cruel master, he said, why? What's better than what we got here? Run away. I'm not going anywhere. This is the house Negro. Did you In those ever... days, we called him the house nigger. And that's what we call him today because we still got a lot of house niggers running around. Okay. So, let me just touch on that clip and be out. When, when I hear this clip, right, I know Malcolm is talking about this. He's talking about slavery and the slaves obeying their masters and being um, obedient slaves. And he, he's coming from a, 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 a racial point of view, right? But when I listen to the clip, I'm looking at it. I, I know exactly what he meant at that time. But I'm looking at it I like I can apply it to the, the plantation, the spiritual plantation and the mental plantation. I look at the world as being a plantation. When I say the world, I'm talking about the world system. I'm talking about the philosophies of the world that are opposed to God and to truth. God is truth. And so the devil, who is a liar, who, who basically, who has a lot of influence over the world and over the, the, uh, the world system, if I'm not mistaken, scripture says he, he is the uh, the prince of the power of the air, the uh, the god of this world, lowercase g. He he has a lot 
of influence over the world. And so I'm looking at the devil system as being the plantation, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm taking what Malcolm is saying, but I'm applying it to applying it on a spiritual level, on a social level as well. So I played this clip because I find that some people are still on a plantation. They're mentally enslaved, still on that plantation. And they listen to, they listen to, um, false leaders they listen to leaders who are incorrect or in error with their worldview and with their values they're not they're not following god's truth they listen to these leaders they follow these leaders they hear these leaders on the news outlets and they take their advice and they they follow them they go vote a certain way um, because they're leaders, because they believe in these false leaders. They believe in these leaders. And so to me, that is a form of staying on the plantation. Even when you are doing something that's wrong, you're acting against your interests, you're acting against your conscience, but you still listen to that leader. So let's call that leader the slave master. And the slave master, I mean, we could talk politically. Let's say that the slave master is, uh, he's a candidate. He's saying certain things that may be against your interests and, and don't even line up with your values. But for whatever reason, you're so loyal to this master. You're so loyal to the slave master, to this leader. And, and, you continue to support this leader, continue to stay on this plantation. Maybe there's some benefits that you see from this plantation. Like, um, I don't know, maybe there's some, some social programs that you're getting benefits from and, and which makes you dependent on this slave master and this system, the, the, the system of slavery. And you don't want to walk away from the plantation because once you walk off the plantation, you might have to be self-sufficient. You might have to do for self. You might have to start building, building community, building relationships. Actually, you can build your own system, really. So this is what I took away from, from this uh, Malcolm clip. And I find that some people are still stuck on that plantation mentally. They don't, they don't walk away. And what's crazy to me is that their leaders and their slave masters, let's let's speak politically, talk, do some crazy things, advocate some crazy things. And some of them know it within their conscience, but they still stay stuck on the plantation. So that's why I, I played this clip. Get off the plantation. Stop following the slave master. Take ownership of yourself. Get into truth. Study God's ways. That's what I'm saying. Anyway, and please excuse the language that you know was used at the end. I, I don't like to use that word if you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, um, on that note, peace. Stay tuned.
Another episode coming soon. I hope you enjoyed it.